Hey friends, thanks for listening. And before we begin, a special thanks to Heather Cosby, Stephanie Hyde, and Alicia Fullerman, our Patreon patrons. If you too would like to support our podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash cocoon stories and donate to help make this podcast more possible. And now let's get going. a time to be alive. We have virtual assistants that we carry in our pockets, we can know the sweet, sweet taste of breakfast trash ice cream, and we can go to the hospital to deliver our babies with playlists to listen to and cute robes to wear with barely a thought toward whether we'll survive the experience. These are blessed times, where to hear the phrase died in childbirth is pretty rare, both for moms and babies. But it still happens. You can probably tell already that this is going to be a heavier episode, and a harder story to hear. But as with all of our stories, we don't share it without a purpose. Our guest, Robin, has been very generous with her time and her experience. She's been to places most of us would not dream of going, and she is willing to share what she has seen and heard and felt for our benefit. And in listening, we can do just a little thing to give her something back. This is Cocoon, Stories of Gestation. I'm Lizzie Heiselt. And I'm Valerie Best. We covered a lot of ground with Robin, from her childhood dreams to her son's birth and death, to how she has moved forward without leaving him behind. We talked about fathers in the birthing process, their unique perspective, and their invisibility. And we got to peek into her closet to see how she stores those things that she never actually wanted, but are truly a part of who she is. Here's Robin. So my name is Robin Dowdle. I live in Phoenix, Arizona, and my husband and I have um, three children. Um, our first son, William, would be three years old at this point, and unfortunately he died due to complications during his birth. And then um, we have a, our second son is named Henry, and he just turned two in January. And then we have a little girl named Cora who is six months old. So I... I'm one of those girls who I have dreamed of being a mother since, um, and I can remember um, every photo of me from my childhood. I'm playing with dolls. One Christmas, I got an actual real double stroller for Christmas, and I would push my dolls around the neighborhood in that, um, like I was a legitimate mom at the age of, I think, 10. And I did a lot of babysitting. So I have always really dreamed of being a mother. That's one of the things that I have always hoped for. And I just always imagined being a part of who I am. Um, I've just always really been drawn to babies and small children. And I've spent a lot of time babysitting and volunteering in the church nursery and taking care of other people's children. Robin was a little bit older when she and her husband, Mark, got married, almost 31. And while she was anxious to have a baby, she and Mark did want to have some time together before they added anyone else to the family. They waited a year and then went for it. It only took a few months to conceive, but to Robin, it felt like an eternity. Within a few weeks of getting that positive pregnancy test, she was almost literally glowing with the joy of it all. We were just so overjoyed to be pregnant. I remember vividly, I saw my brother... Um, at like a family gathering and afterwards he 
texted me and said, I've never seen you this happy. And I hadn't told him. I was only like six weeks pregnant. And I hadn't told him that I was pregnant or told anyone that I was pregnant. But somehow he knew. And so my pregnancy with Will was just one of the most joyful times of my life. Um, I, I was just so excited. I think I made my husband put the crib together when I was maybe 20 weeks pregnant. I just, I really was just so excited to get everything set up and to get everything ready for this baby that we were so looking forward to. My sister and my best friend threw me this beautiful shower and I just remember crying as I opened gifts at the shower because I was just so overcome with joy and emotion that this was really happening, that I was really, you know, this dream I had been longing for and that I had been dreaming of was actually coming to fruition. At about the same time, halfway through the pregnancy, Robin switched from an OBGYN to a birth center with a midwife practice. Several friends and relatives had babies at home or in birth centers, and Robin felt pretty confident about her ability to birth the baby without any trouble. She wasn't even nervous about the pain, and actually still isn't, even after giving birth three times. The baby, whose sex was unknown, was due on December 14th, but by December 20th, Robin's birthday, there was still no signs of labor. She had hoped that the baby would not come so close to Christmas, but she was willing to roll with it and see what happened. On the 21st, they did some things to try to induce labor, Stripping her membranes, the Foley method, but those things didn't move things along. Ultrasounds indicated everything was fine with the baby, so they decided to let things take their course until after Christmas, and then, if the baby still hadn't arrived, they would reevaluate. I have vivid memories of sitting in um, the Christmas Eve service. At this point, I was so pregnant, and just thinking of Mary and her experience birthing Jesus. So that was kind of a really cool connection that I felt like I had. But to be honest, in the, as it got farther, I just, my husband and I both had this like very anxious feeling. And I think we both just thought like that that was kind of normal. Like we're anticipating this big thing. It's going to be happening very soon. And so we felt like we both just felt like very anxious. And I'm not an anxious person. Now looking back, I wonder like, was that like a sign, you know, but you never know. You can't overanalyze. But I do remember like waking up one night in the middle of the night and my husband wasn't in bed and I like went and he was sitting in the nursery. This was like maybe three days before Will was born reading the Bible. And my husband doesn't read the Bible very often. He is a believer and we go to church, but that was kind of really struck me um, in that moment. And so we got to the 26th. I still had not had the baby. So we went in to see the midwife one more time and she checked me and I was um, four centimeters already just on my own, but I was not in labor or having any sort of contractions. And so we went home. I still was like really in denial that I needed to have this baby or I was going to have this baby soon. So I had bought groceries. I had plans for like what I was going to make for dinner that night. But Robin was 41 weeks and six days pregnant, and it was really time to get the baby out. She decided to induce labor with castor oil, which was very effective. Because Robin was already dilated to four centimeters when she took the castor oil, things really went quickly. Within two hours, contractions were right on top of each other, and she and Mark were on their way to the birth center. Before they even got there, Robin was feeling like she needed to push. 
but they made it to the center, and Robin was evaluated as being at a 9 to 9.5 centimeters. The midwife on duty was not one they had met before, holiday hours and all of that, but she had been delivering babies for almost as long as Robin had been alive, so that felt like a good enough recommendation. Robin labored for over an hour while the baby's heart rate was periodically monitored. It all seemed to be going pretty well. Until it wasn't. And so I got in the tub. I filled up like a tub with warm water and I was starting to push. And um, I was, you know, in the zone, like major contractions, a lot of pain. Um, And all of a sudden they're taking the heart rate and they're telling me that the heart rate is dropping. I don't think actually in that moment that I really understood what was happening. But I was at that point where you're kind of in like another universe that's all your own. So the next thing I knew, they were calling an ambulance um, to transport me to the hospital. I still, I really just didn't understand the like, I knew like things weren't good. We were going to transfer to the hospital, but I really didn't understand the gravity of the situation. I don't think I had my eyes closed the entire time in the ambulance and they were telling me not to push um, and to not um, because they wanted to get me to the hospital before I delivered him. We got to the hospital and they rushed me into basically a room to do a c-section and all of a sudden my husband was gone. I didn't know where he was and no one and it was just all happening so fast. I mean this was probably within this is all within five minutes of arriving at the hospital And I just remember telling them, like, I haven't even had a chance to, like, try to push him out, and you're calling a C-section. And so they told me I had a few minutes that I could attempt to deliver him, and I actually did end up delivering him vaginally with the help of a vacuum. And I just remember in that moment feeling so proud of myself because I had done it, and I had done it under so much pressure. Everyone was screaming at me to push him out, that I had to get him out like so quickly that like it was so urgent that I had to do this and I had done it and I felt so proud in that moment. I had, I had done it. And then all of a sudden it just like, you know, I didn't get to see the baby. The baby was whisked away. No one was really telling me what was going on. No one was telling her. And her eyes had been closed as she tried to focus on helping her baby come out. But her husband, Mark, was witnessing it all. After Robin delivered the baby, a boy they named William Earl for his grandfathers and his dad, Mark went with the baby and watched as the doctors and nurses worked on him. When he rejoined Robin, who was clueless about why she couldn't see her baby yet, he didn't look so good. I'm asking my husband, did you get a picture of him? My husband is like ashen-faced and is like basically unable to speak. And so it was, it was several hours before I actually got to go up to the NICU to see him. Um, now I know that that was because they were trying to basically like revive him and stabilize him enough for us to come and see him. But I just remember, I, I, don't, I couldn't compute in my brain. When they finally did get to see William, the prognosis was dire. He had a 50% chance of living and had severe brain damage because he had aspirated meconium in the womb. He was lying on a cooling bed, a treatment that has helped babies in his situation. Robin and Mark held him and sang to him and memorized his fuzzy little head, 
savoring every moment they had with him. And after four days, they made a very difficult decision, though it didn't really feel like much of a decision at all. We actually chose to take him off of um, life support after finding out that basically 95% of his brain had been damaged. We got to have really um, some sweet time, my husband and I, with him um, as he took his final breaths and we got to hold him and love him. And I think everyone assumes that that was probably the saddest time, but I actually have a lot of really good memories from that time. And my, my husband and I actually like laughed and we sang to him. And that was the only time we ever had alone with our baby to just just have him be our baby and so I think I don't know we never discussed it but somehow the two of us chose to make that time I would say joyful but we just chose to enjoy him in those moments and we grieved a lot in the days before that and we grieved a lot in the days after that and the moments after he died but in those moments we just chose to really enjoy him as much as we could at that at that time So we had four days with him and I um, am always, as much as I, you know, desperately wish that we had him here with us now, I'm so thankful we had those four days to memorize what, you know, how fuzzy his hair was and to just, you know, soak him in and touch him and have our family get to come and meet him and to get to see him. Those days were a kind of gift they gave themselves permission to be in the moment. They weren't anticipating the grief of the future. They weren't feeling the grief they had already felt. They were able to just be in the moments and let them be filled with whatever they were going to be filled with. Robin says that being able to do that, to inhabit those days and those moments so completely without looking ahead or behind, was her motherly instincts kicking in. I think at the end of the day, I was his mother. and. Being a mother is something that I think is just innate within you. And so he was my baby. And I had been so looking forward to him and looking forward to kissing his toes and giving him a bath and singing him songs and giving him nicknames and somehow not consciously, because I was definitely not consciously in a place that I could really think about that and say, okay, I'm going to do this. I was such a mess. But somehow, like subconsciously, my just innate motherhood just took over um, in that moment. And uh, yeah, I think that that really helped me. It wasn't like my husband and I had a meeting and we're like, let's do this. It was, I think it, you're just, once you're a mother, you are a mother. And I was his mother. Those moments may have been a gift they gave themselves, But of course there were others there to support them. Robin's mom was there within an hour of Will's birth. But her sister, Leslie, whom she had always had a close relationship with, was in Austria celebrating Christmas with her husband's family. When Will was born, however, she hopped on a plane and flew straight to Arizona. She managed to fly back in time to meet Will. And she got there late that evening. It was my mom and my sister and I in at his bedside. And I just will never forget She was so excited to meet my baby. She didn't care that he was covered with a bunch of wires, that he wasn't moving, that he wasn't breathing on his own. She did not care. She was, she could not get over how excited she was. 
And that night we sang to him, um, Jesus loves the little children. Um, and we sang that to him for a while. And I'll just always be thankful for just that. That was a really another really joyful, happy time. She was just, I mean, just bouncing off the walls. She was just so excited to meet my baby. I, I will always cherish those memories. And I think, yeah, my sister, I think no one knows what to do in one of these situations. And so that's a question I often get is like, what should you do? And I think my, my sister just really, she got it. Leslie, Robin's sister, really knocked it out of the park when it came to the, what can I do for you question? A question almost everyone faces at some point. It seems like it's one of those things where you have all these thoughts and ideas and plans, but then an actual opportunity presents itself and your mind goes blank and you're left with the words, let me know if you need anything. Leslie wasn't that dear in those headlights. She didn't freeze and stare blankly at the crisis in front of her. She was mindful of Robin and of Mark. She understood the emotional work Robin would have to do and tried to alleviate it. She had ideas and she executed them. She made it a top priority to anticipate their needs. You know, I mentioned on the phone to her one time after Will had died that all these people were getting me all these gifts and no one was getting anything for my husband. And his child had also died. And so she's like, okay, she starts brainstorming with me on the phone. Okay, what can we get for him? Obviously, we're not going to get him maybe a necklace or something. What can we get for him? My husband um, collects beer and brews beer. And I said, well, what if we got him a mug with Will's initials on it? And literally the next morning she says, okay, here's the confirmation. I ordered it. It'll be here by this date. And it showed up at my doorstep. And then anytime my husband was missing him, I would always kind of know because he would be using the mug. And I think that was great for my husband because sometimes for men it's hard to you know, say, I really miss him today. But that was kind of always a little sign for me to know. Another thing she did was she went with me to get my hair cut so that I wouldn't have to be the only person like making small talk with the hairdresser, who was someone I loved and I'd been seeing for a long time. But just making small talk is really hard after you've lost someone. And so that was such a gift. She just went and sat and she basically carried on the conversation with the hairstylist. And I just sat there. Finally, she took the photos that Robin and Mark received through Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep, an organization where photographers volunteer to create beautiful pictures for families who are losing a baby and had them made into a book for them. Robin has a few other tips for supporting bereaved parents or really anyone going through a significant grief. Starting with that moment when you first see someone who you haven't seen in a while, but who you know has been suffering something deep. Saying something is always the right thing to do also. I saw people that I hadn't seen and then I saw them like six months later. You should still say something. If I haven't seen you and this is the first time we're seeing each other, like you should still say something. Also, when meeting someone in passing and making small talk. Instead of asking someone, how many children do you have? Um, Tell me about your family. Really gives me the opportunity to tell you what I want to tell you. I do do it on a case-by-case basis. And for my own, like, kind of self-protection almost, like, I just really can't go into it with the lady at the grocery store. Honestly, like, the look of, like, shock and horror 
on people's face when you tell them that your child like died is just really too much for me to handle when I'm just trying to buy groceries and half the time I have my other small children with me that I'm like trying to take care of. But if it's anyone who I'm going to have any sort of relationship with, I, I tell them pretty much from the outset because I really feel like you can't understand me um, and you can't really know me unless you know about my what's happened in my life and Losing my son, Will, is a big part of that. So I am I am very open about it, just not always like in public or with strangers um, in that kind of situation. In loss, one of the kindest things you can do is acknowledge that loss and let someone express what they are feeling about it at that moment. Asking how they were doing, giving them a chance to tell you what they want to say is generally a good idea. But putting them in a position where they have to comfort you is generally not a good idea. Also not a good idea. Judging how people grieve. Robin and Mark cried a lot in the days and weeks after Will died, but since then their grief, though it continues, doesn't look the same. First of all, crying is exhausting. Um, and my husband and I always joke that like we cried so many tears like right around when we lost Will. And then for me, like for like the next three to four months, but I think I've like cried all the tears I have to cry in my lifetime. So not to like be lighthearted, but my husband and I do joke about that. We're like, we have just cried all the tears and crying is exhausting. I still cry myself about Will every once in a while or I'll tear up, but it's not like on a daily basis. Like I said, like sometimes grief will hit me at different moments, but it's, it's not something like I'm, I wasn't a crier really before at all, before Will, so it just kind of feels normal. And I think men grieve very differently than women in a lot of cases. And one of the things I've learned is, you know, I just think that as much as you can just accept the person's grief, and it might not look how you expect it to look, it might look like anger. Um, which can be really surprising, but it might look like anger or it might, you know, it might look like the characteristic, like crying, you know, upset. My husband is maybe a little bit more guarded about it um, and feels like, you know, he kind of holds it closer to his chest and that's, that's fine. Um, I think that's one of them. I, one of my lessons is, you know, we all kind of deal with grief in different ways and have to find what feels right for us. I think our society's getting it more that like grief isn't like this thing that fits in a box. It looks very different for different people. Robin mentioned the grief hitting her or rising up occasionally. It is always there, but there are times when it really comes to the surface. And some of those moments are tied up with some of her most joyful moments as well. Moments of watching her second son, Henry, grow up. Honestly, just this week, I was I was talking to my mom and we were talking about how just how cute my son Henry is who's two he's just like his language has exploded and his personality and he's just so cute and in that moment it just hit me like a ton of bricks what would Will have been like and just how much I had lost like I was just so enjoying Henry in the in the stage he's in right now and he's so fun and listening to him you know call it his blankery it just hit me like I think the magnitude of how much I've lost like in some ways 
I'm so distracted because I have these two other small children I'm taking care of all the time. But then at the same time, they are kind of magnifying what I've lost and how I just will never know, like, what would have been the cute things that Will would have said, you know, they would have been different than Henry. And I'll never really know what those things were. Those moments of missing Will and not knowing exactly what that means can come out of the blue. But Robin does her best to bring what she does know of Will into their family. Henry is aware that he has a brother. There are pictures of Will on the walls, and she made a book for Henry and Cora to help them learn about their brother. It basically tells the story to him in a very um, child-appropriate way, a two-year-old, the way he can comprehend it, and has a lot of photos in it, and it just tells it in a very simple way. Before you were born, Mommy and Daddy had a baby. His name was Will, and... That's been both really wonderful and really just heart-wrenching, to be honest, because there are some days where he wants to read that book, like you guys know toddlers, he wants to read the book eight times, and I sometimes have to hide the book, I can't read it again. But at the same time, it's very important to my husband and I that he knows about his brother, so we talk about him all the time in the little moments when we're discussing who in our family are boys and who are girls. And we talk about Will and he knows, you know, when Will's birthday is and we go, we take him with us to visit his headstone. And it's very important to us. We have his photo pretty prominently displayed in different places in our household. And it definitely is not, it's not a secret. It's not, it's something that our children will grow up um, very much knowing and being aware of that's so important to to both Mark and I. So yeah, we just try to, we just try to make it like a natural, normal part, but talking to him about it, it, you know, it's both wonderful, but hard right before Christmas, which Will's birthday. So obviously we were kind of talking about it maybe a little bit more, but we have a, a snow globe that has Henry's photo in it and Will's photo in it. And right before Christmas. So Cora was only like four months old. So I was not really sleeping very much at all. Um, I think it was like 6am. So I was still in like a half asleep stupor. And I look all of a sudden I hear and I look over and Henry's holding a snow globe and he's singing happy birthday to Will. And I have never heard him sing the happy birthday song to anyone. I didn't know he knew to be able, I mean, it was obviously a two-year-old rendition. So it was like, happy birthday, Will, happy birthday to you. But still, I've never heard him sing that song. So I do feel like I have some things I'm wrestling through with God, but my husband and I both 100% agreed that Henry was sent special to us from God. He's a very special child. Anyone who meets him will, will tell you that I think after losing Will, God sent us just a very exceptional child. And so He's been a real balm to our souls and has really helped. He helped give me a lot of hope um, after losing Will. So, yeah, so it's complicated. Yeah, it's complicated, but we do talk to, we, he knows about him and he always will. It is complicated, as Robin says. She continues to wrestle with God over what happened to her son. She is sometimes content and at peace, and at other times, it's more difficult. One of the most difficult things she had to do in the year after Will's death was prepare to face childbirth again. Robin was pregnant again within a few months of losing Will, and the thought of facing a similar situation was daunting. 
But with the help of a therapist specializing in infant loss, she and Mark were able to put together a plan and a team and a list of things she needed as she faced this very fraught experience. I think uh, my psychologist helped me to really process Will's birth and to think through that and then to also prepare for Henry's birth uh, and to think through what I really needed in that situation. And I was able to pretty clearly communicate as a result, like my non-negotiables and the things that really mattered to me. So, you know, one of my top non-negotiables was that my husband needed to be with me at all times and that I needed to know where he was at all times because that was a major trauma for me and Will's was that like in this traumatic situation, I was all of a sudden alone and I didn't know where he was. I think another thing was that it was really important to me that it was as least chaotic as possible in terms of just like the stress level, chaos, Will's delivery. I, I mean, it was probably a room the size of like, I don't know, eight by 10 maybe. And at one point there were, I would guess at least 20 people in the room. So it was just absolute insanity. But with Henry, it was just really nice because the only people in the room were Mark, my OBGYN, the doula and the nurse who actually randomly ended up being like one of my husband's sister's closest friends. So I feel like that was a a very um, welcome gift from God. Um, that she happened to be there and was really supportive. And so I was able to um, give birth to him naturally without, I didn't have to have Pitocin. I didn't get an epidural. And so I I didn't know going in, you know, I think inductions also get a really bad rap in terms of thinking that that means you're going to be there forever and it's going to be terrible. But that, that was not my experience um, with Henry. It was really fast and I just felt like I had a chance to really um, be present and it was so peaceful when he was born and they were able to like put him on my chest and he was immediately like crying and you know I got to nurse him immediately and I can't overstate what it feels like to give birth and then suddenly your baby is gone and you you know you just spent 10 months with that baby inside of you and it feels like you basically have lost your right arm has been amputated and so I think that was really the most healing part about Henry's birth was just like being able to give birth to him a very peaceful situation and then have him immediately put on my chest and never have him taken from me you know he was just there with me and we just got to really soak him in and enjoy him. Because Will had been 12 days past his due date and because they wanted to be sure everyone on their birthing team was there Robin and Mark chose to have Henry induced at 39 weeks. And partly because Robin recognized those needs and took charge in those ways, Henry's birth was a redemptive experience for her, and healing in many ways. But her experience with Will has given her some hard-won wisdom and a perspective that a good birth is forgiving of imperfections. It's very cliche to say, like, what matters most is, like, a healthy baby, but really that's all that matters, and that's what matters most. I actually... So I had a totally magical, really redemptive birth with my second son, Henry, which was wonderful. But then my daughter, who I just had six months ago, it was really not a great experience at all for me. But at the end of the day, she she's here and she's healthy. And so I don't really, it doesn't like, that was just a moment in my life 
and she's here and she's healthy. And so it doesn't really matter to me. So I do think in some ways my perspective has changed in that regard um, from what it was maybe when I was um, anticipating Will. I had like these visions of of having this like beautiful experience with my husband giving birth to our baby. And then it was so traumatic. It was so horrible. There was so much screaming and yelling and there's so much chaos that it really has changed kind of my um, perspective on birth, I think in a lot of ways. Some of the yelling during Will's birth was done by Mark, which is a big deal. Robin has only heard him yell twice since she has known him. And one of those times was at the doctor's. And it is partly because Mark is normally so quiet and reserved, and partly because fathers in general are not often found near the center of the birth story, that Robin has become more aware and sensitive to them as well. Actually, with my third Cora, I didn't want to get induced. I kind of wanted to, like, see what my body would do, just see what would happen. And my husband really wanted me to get induced and to choose like a day. And because if we, if I just went into labor on my own, like we weren't sure if my OBGYN would be there, it was kind of a situation where there's a practice. And so whoever was on call. And I think we, we often just think that the decision should be based off what the woman wants. But as I kind of like listened to him and thought about it more, like in some ways it was actually more traumatic Will's birth for him than it was for me because I, you know, like I said, the whole ride in the ambulance, I had my eyes closed. I was like in the process of, you know, delivering the placenta. They were like stitching me up. So I was not really, didn't get to really see and witness like them basically resuscitating our son, which my, my husband watched all of that. And so I did end up actually deciding to be induced with my third because I just, I felt like his perspective was very valid and that I needed to really honor like what his experience had been and that it would be extremely stressful for him if I went into labor at home and like he was the only one present and he needed to get me to the hospital, especially like knowing how fast my labors had been. Like if there was any chance that like I could deliver the baby in the car or something like that would just have not been good for us. And so I did actually decide to get induced. So I I don't know. I think we don't often think about the husband's perspective in birth, but it was a traumatic event for him also. And so I kind of chose to really um, recognize that and honor that in like the future. Actually at Henry's delivery, I mentioned that the NICU nurse, Melissa was there and we, we kind of, met with her and talked with her beforehand. And she was basically my husband's doula. She was like, that was her job was to be there to support him and to really take care of that him during the delivery and to make sure that he was okay. Deep down inside, I just still believe like women were created to do this. That is still my core belief, but I think I'm more aware than I was with Will of how how many things can go wrong in the process, which isn't common, but it does happen. Like there are a lot, it's a like very tricky thing giving birth to a child and there are a lot of things that can happen. There are a lot of things that can happen and we are so lucky and should be so grateful that we don't have to think about it quite so much. 
We don't spend the last month of pregnancy in a confinement, getting our affairs in order in case things go badly, which was a common practice just a few generations ago. We don't assume that everyone has lost a pregnancy or a baby or a child because those things are pretty rare now. And we are able to expand our definition of what a successful birth looks like from nobody died to both mother and baby are healthy and did not suffer unnecessary trauma and father too. Maybe our expectations of what childbirth could and should be has opened the door too far, where we expect too much from our care providers or we are distracted by things that don't really matter. Or maybe we are still learning how to go about creating an environment where trauma, physical and emotional, is less likely, where we feel genuine care and concern from our care providers and trust them to have our best interests as their top priority. This isn't something that necessarily happens on the first try, but it can be done. And while it's important to find people, doctors, midwives, care providers who listen and care, it is also important to be someone who listens and cares about whatever trauma anyone else has gone through to get where they are now. Whether it be an unexpectedly fast labor or one that drags on for days, being willing to both listen and share is important because it creates space for others to regain their footing and move forward with their own experiences and their own baggage. And that is something Robin continues to learn and to move forward with. Even though Henry's birth was redemptive, and even though she has been in therapy and been able to process the trauma, she still struggles with motherhood. In ways that we all do, obviously. But it feels different. Different than she thought it would. Partly because there is a thought somewhere that she should be so grateful that she has these kids after all she has been through that nothing should faze her. Honestly, I'm still in shock myself. Like there are still a lot of moments, a lot of days where I think, oh my gosh, we really lost him. We really, this really happened to us. I think it's something that just seems so unimaginable. And so some days I'm just like, no, no, that really happened. I mean, I think about him every day and I actually think about it a lot. So it's not like I've forgotten that it, I'm not saying that I've forgotten that it's happened, if that makes sense, but it's still just like hard to wrap my head around the fact that it really did happen. The shock is, is hard to deal with. When you're pregnant, you just like are dreaming and dreaming about, okay, gosh, I'm going to give birth to this baby and I'm going to like hold him and, you know, check him out and do all these things. And then I had Will and it was three days before I got to hold him. And I just felt like, I just felt like I had lost, like my arm had been amputated and I just felt like, truly, I felt like I had lost a part of me. And I did because, you know, I, he had been a part of me for 10 months. And so to so suddenly have lost him was really, really traumatic. And so it was so redemptive to have Henry and to be able to bond with him immediately and hold him whenever I want to. And I will say, though, that I thought I thought that losing a child would make me a better mother. And I do think in a lot of ways that it has made me a much better mother. But I, I think it also in some ways has made motherhood, it has made it more challenging in some ways. And I, I don't know that I really realized that. And so maybe there's other people listening who who feel like, oh, my gosh, I lost my child, so I should be so thankful for these kids that I have, which I, I am very thankful for them, but I also have PTSD from Will's birth. And so 
it's really difficult for me to deal with, especially like loud noises. And my daughter, Cora, who we love very dearly, has been a screamer and a crier. And couple that with a almost, you know, two-year-old who I think you guys know throws tantrums. And it's been hard at, at times. It's felt very much like I feel like I'm going to like combust because I like cannot deal with like the level of like crying and chaos when they're, especially when they're both crying and I'm by myself with them. So that's been something that's been surprising. I think losing Will has made me much more appreciative and has helped me to not sweat the small stuff, but there, there is ramifications of trauma that I'm still kind of working through and dealing with. It almost seems like a fairy tale that she or anyone could come out of a trauma like that and be some sort of mother saint. But aside from sainthood, Robin is doing the best she can with what she has, which is sharing her story. It's not to warn others about what could happen. She knows what happened to her and Mark and Will is rare, and she doesn't want to scare people with it. But being generous with her experience can give others what they need, whether it be company or perspective or an example of how to get through a hard time. A few months after Will's birth, Robin was featured on the popular blog Design Mom. She did a house tour for the Living with Kids feature. But there were no kids. The photos featured Robin's house, Will's memorabilia and his nursery, pictures of him but also the closet where they put much of the baby things that they wouldn't need. Just an open closet filled with Graco boxes, diapers, wipes, and baby seats. It is a picture of a room that we all have inside of us, a place where all our disappointments and heartbreaks go. We rarely know what is in someone else's closet, but we are painfully aware of what is in ours. It may seem shameful or secret or just too hard to even acknowledge, but Robin, in sharing her story and letting us see her closet gives us a chance to feel more at ease with our own stories. When we meet someone like Robin or hear them, we often say, I could never handle that. I could never survive something like she did. But we all experience fear, anxiety, disappointment. When we hear these stories of people who have faced a huge loss, we generally come away with hope and with love. Not only do we feel compassion for someone else's struggle, but we can find strength and a starting point and someone to emulate in facing our own struggles. In her Design Mom post, Robin wrote, The part that feels hard to me are all of the other reminders found throughout our house. Opening the cupboard for the first time to do laundry and seeing the baby laundry detergent. Or opening the cupboard below the sink in the bathroom and seeing all of the cute baby towels washed and folded and ready to go. So I've taken most of those things I don't want to see and crammed them in the closet. I'll deal with them another day. And she has been dealing with them. Some of the physical things in the closet, the washed cloths and laundry detergent, were probably put out to use when Henry was born. But those metaphorical things are also being dealt with through the plans she made for Henry's birth, her sensitivity to her husband as they prepared for Cora's arrival, the way she continues to wrestle with and trust in God how she opens herself to others and helps them find their way through their own thickets. We wondered what 10-year-old Robin, wheeling her dolls through the neighborhood in her double stroller, might think of how life and motherhood has turned out for her. I think I just had no idea how both wonderfully magical it could be and how much I adore it 
and at the same moment how it can be absolutely maddening. It's just like the craziest roller coaster of emotions that I never, I, I didn't imagine when I was a child. My sister and I both say to my mom, you just always made it look so easy. And so like, it just came so effortlessly to you. And it is both easy and effortless to me, but at the same time, this is hard work. I think especially having them close in age. So uh, Henry was 19 months old when Cora was born. So I think on a daily basis, I'm both like in love with how cute they are and just, you know, all of their little specific quirks. And my husband and I look at each other on like a daily basis and are just like, oh my gosh. I tell Henry, and now he kind of repeats it back to me, that he's the cutest guy I ever met. And so in that ways, I feel like motherhood has been really, really fulfilling, but it's also just really hard. Like, sometimes you just want to be able to, like, take a shower or maybe eat something when you're hungry. And I just had no idea how much sacrifice it would require and the fact that, like, all of your basic needs, like, you're hungry, you're thirsty, you're tired really have to take a back seat for a little while. Some days that's harder than others, but I would say on the whole, it has been as wonderful as I imagined when I was a little girl. I think what I didn't imagine as a little girl, I just didn't understand that like, you know, there's all those cliche quotes about how like your heart thou lives outside of your body. And it really is true. Like, there's no way to explain the love that you have for your child until you've actually like felt it yourself. And I think that that's what makes motherhood so wonderful, but also so hard is because you care about them so much. And, and that means that your heart can get really broken, which is what, you know, happened to me. And I, you know, I think when I got pregnant with Henry at the beginning, I thought, okay, I'm going to like, really like guard my heart because I don't know what's going to happen. And, but then at the end of the day, like your motherhood instinct just totally takes over. Thanks Robin for sharing your story. We so much appreciate your experience and your insights and the work you have done and shared with us. God be with you and your family as you continue to grow together and move forward together. We also want to acknowledge the work Robin's sister Leslie took on during that first intense period of grief. It was invaluable and inspirational. In fact, we've added a page to our website to share thoughts about the what to do question. If you have thoughts or ideas about how to love someone who is dealing with a loss, please go to our website and share your ideas. You can also go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review or a rating. You can send us an email. You can follow us on social media. You can share with your friends. And you can become a patron on Patreon. Thank you to all of the people who make this podcast possible, including but not exclusive to Ben Howell, <laughs> Ellen Barnhart for the music. Mm-hmm. Tyson Shank also does Tyson music. Tyson Shank for, the mu- for his music. Um, our producer emeritus, Ryan Barnhart. Mm-hmm. And ugh, Micah. Hysel, obviously, who, it's, it was a surprise to me, but has a small cameo in the new Marvel movie. Congratulations, Micah.